Trying to um, communicate uh, maybe the most important thing that we can ponder, and that is, uh, who, who is God? Um, who, who is He? Considering the fact that we come in and, and as believers, we, we sing these songs and we pray and all this kind of stuff, it's important to know who it is that we're singing to and who we're praying to and who we're trusting with our lives and with the lives of those around us. And, and so... Um, the early church fathers were, were trying to, to wrestle with, you know, the fact that Scripture seems to teach some things that at first are a little bit confusing, but, but once they had the entire Bible and they started looking at, at things, they were like, we need, to, we need to work on this. And so they had these councils, and they would have all these theologians come together, and they would kind of mash something out. And, and so you hear some people say they don't believe in the Trinity because the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. It's absolutely true. Um, but the concepts of the Trinity are there, and they are important enough that we needed a, a word. You know, we needed a way to communicate this stuff. And so um, last week, just kind of went through, there are three basic ideas in a discussion about the Trinity that, that um, would encompass uh, all the things that we believe. So we're just going to run through these real quick. The first one is that, uh, is that there is one true God, that um, all other gods are false gods. They are dead. They are um, they're not real. Um, that all throughout Scripture, God tells us that He is the one and only true God, that everything else is, uh, is, is false. And um, that's a very important thing to recognize, uh, that He is the only one, because as we get into, you start to read Scripture, and it's, you know, you have God the Father, and you have, you know, Jesus saying that He's God, but He's praying to God the Father, and you have the Holy Spirit, who um, is also God, and it seems a little bit confusing. And so the, the main idea is that there is one true God. Okay. Then you move to the next point, is that, that this one true God um, exists in three distinct persons. That he has eternally existed in three distinct persons. Okay? Eternally meaning that, that from the beginnings of time and all the way to the end of time, if there is an end of time, uh, or if there was a beginning, which is a whole other conversation. Um, basically, all three have always existed. At no point did Jesus, was Jesus created um, at uh, no point was the Holy Spirit, like in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes into the world, uh, you don't see this, you know, God was like, all right, let's create this Holy Spirit, whatever. All three have existed the whole time. Um, they are persons. They are not um, entities. They're not forces. Um, but, but when we say person, we don't mean like, uh, like a human. We're talking about they have uh, personalities. They have feelings. They, they speak. They act. They, they think. You know, they, they already said think. They, um, they have all those attributes to them. And so um, they're all persons. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Okay? The Holy Spirit is a he. There's, there's a person there. Um, and, and so they're, they've eternally existed. They are distinct. And there's three of them. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the word distinct is what we're going to kind of dive into a little bit more tonight, into looking at what, what distinguishes them. Um, last week, we kind of landed in a place of looking at, at there's both unity and distinction within the Trinity. That there's this one God who all the time and always has exists in three persons, um, but there is um, this, there's unity, but there's distinction within each of the persons. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but that's important that we realize that both are going on at the same time. That God the Father 
isn't like the Old Testament God, and then he becomes Jesus for the Gospels, and then he becomes the Holy Spirit, that all three are existing at all the time. So there's one and there's three all the time. The third point is that each one of those three persons are all fully and equally God. That whatever is true about God is true about each one of them. So, so the, the Holy Spirit is all-knowing, is completely sovereign, is, uh, is um, uh, omnibenevolent, is all, all good, is all loving. Is, anything that describes God would describe each one of them fully and equally. Um, we tend to think that, uh, that there is the wrong kind of hierarchy within the Trinity. There is hierarchy within the Trinity. We'll get to that in a little bit, but not in the kind that we normally think. Like it's like, you know, first level, second level, third level. They are all equally and fully God, but they are distinct from each other. Okay, so God the Father is not the same as God the Son, and it's not the same as God the Spirit. So there's distinction, there's unity, and you're like, man, this is blowing my mind. Don't really understand what's going on. And I guess if if you're like, I don't really get that. How is there one, but there's three, but there's one. Um, and how are they distinct, but they're unified and all that? Hey, everybody that's ever tried to think about this, it kind of like fries your mind a little bit, and it's okay. Um, in Deuteronomy 29, it talks about how there are secret things that belong only to God, and we have to um, try to understand as much as we can, then there comes a point where we have to be like, look, um, just because the Trinity is unlike anything that we understand, it doesn't mean it's not false. What it does is it, it actually exalts the holiness and the uniqueness and the awesomeness of God. Um, so, so that was sort of last week, and we sort of went back to the unity and the distinction and, um, and why that is important. And the main reason I would say that that is important is that God says to us, he says, be like me. I want you to be like me. I want you to be holy. I want you to love. I want you to, uh, to serve. I want you to care. Um, I, I want you to be like me. And what happens when we talk about the Trinity is we realize that God within himself is all of those things. That within the Trinity, there is community. So when God tells us, you need to love one another, you need to live in community together, you need to bear each other's burdens, you need to pray for one another, you need to be there, it's because that is what goes on with, within the Trinity. That those three persons in the Trinity, they do all that. That they are love. They are community. That God is one community. And so if you're at a wedding, and if you're at a wedding that, ceremony that I perform, I pretty much always say this, that the, you know, the, and a lot of preachers do, so it's not at all unique to me. But um, you have you know, the bride and the groom, and it's a, a picture of God's relationship with us and of redemption and salvation. And, and the, the charge on the husband is to love the bride just like Jesus loved the church. And the charge to the bride is to receive that love and that protection and that care and to reciprocate that and to respond by loving him back just like we love Jesus back. It is the most impossible thing ever, especially when you stand up in front of of all, you have all your groomsmen, all your bridesmaids in this room full of people, and you vow before God and every one of them, I'm going to do that. Incredibly intimidating, I guess. But the only reason that you can stand up and make that vow is because the Trinitarian love of God and what God has done in human history makes that possible. 
That's why a husband and a wife can make those vows, not because of confidence in themselves, but because what they are vowing to do is reflection of, the, of who God is, his absolute very essence. That's why our church has a, has a covenant, and all the members of this church have entered into covenant together. And when you read it, it is incredibly impossible, except for the fact that it is a reflection of the way the Father and the Son and the Spirit love and care for each other. And so basically what we're doing as a church when we renew that covenant um, every time is we're, we're basically saying we want to be a reflection of who God is. And because of who he is, it's possible. Okay, so there's, there's the Trinity uh, kind of recapping last week. Tonight we're going to move a little bit deeper into the, the distinctions between the three. All right, um, turn to Genesis chapter 1. The first three verses of the Bible um, give us a really good jumping-off point. Um, Rather than getting into the roles of each member of the Trinity um, uh, conceptually, we're just gonna we're gonna look at two ways that we see in Scripture um, them showing up, and we see the roles that they play. And so we're just gonna kind of jump right to that. Um, The first example we're gonna look at is creation. The second example would be salvation. These are two ways that we see the roles and the relationship of the, within the Trinity being distinct, yet being unified at the same time. All right, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Okay? Um, very famous. A couple of verses. Um, anybody who's vowed to read through the Bible in a year has probably read this verse on January 1st. Um, many, many years. Um, here, here we see the beginnings of this idea that there's more going on than meets the eye. Um, so you have, in the beginning, there was God. Okay? So that's where that eternal aspect comes from. Um, so there's God, and there's, uh, there's no form on the earth. And we see two members of the Trinity right here. You see the Spirit, verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay? Um, I like the word hovering, um, especially because in some circles it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Ghost. And uh, so I like the idea of the Holy Ghost hovering. Um, not like Casper. I don't know. I haven't really figured out what kind of uh, ghostly form I would put with him. But anyway, um, so there, there's the, the Spirit of God, that person of the Trinity, Hovering over the waters. Now, that doesn't tell us everything, but it does tell us something. It tells us that the Spirit is not the one creating things. And by Him hovering there, there's a, there's a sense that, that maybe He's waiting. Um, but I don't think He's just, just waiting for what's going to happen. Um, most theologians would, would take that idea, and based on, especially what we see in the rest of, of Scripture about the Spirit, that He is there um, sustaining and manifesting God's presence in creation. That He's there, and He's just kind of hovering. He's keeping everything together, and that is, that is how creation knows that God is present. Okay. And so then, so then in verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, typically, whenever um, 
like this is taken to, to understand that this God the Father is saying this. And I'll get into something else later. Okay, so, so God the Father says, let there be light. And all of a sudden there's light. And uh, I'm going to flip over. We're going to show you this on the screen in Colossians chapter 1. Um, it's, it says, uh, I'm going to get there. Colossians 1, it says this. Where is Colossians? It's good. Verse 15, it's talking about Christ. Okay, this is the Son. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Okay? So, um, this is saying that everything that's been made has been made by the Son. All right? So if you go back to Genesis, here's what's going on. God the Father says, let there be light, and the Son goes out and makes light. And the Spirit is there hovering and sustaining the light that was there. First, he's over the waters of the deep. And as things are created, and you follow the creation story, the Father says, do this. The Son goes and does this, and then the Spirit is there sustaining and manifesting the presence of God. Awesome. Completely awesome. To think that um, the one who, is, who said, um, all right, okay, so the Father says, make the Grand Canyon. And the one who went and made the Grand Canyon walked the earth. Huge. Absolutely huge. And that the Spirit that, that maintained the presence of God and manifested the presence of God in creation dwells here. Huge, huge. This is, this is, is how we see the roles of each member of the Trinity being carried out. Okay? The Father speaks, the Son goes and accomplishes it, and the Spirit maintains it. All right? So there's creation. Let's look at the other example. We'll turn to John chapter 3. All the rest of this is going to be in John, so... If you don't like to flip a lot, you're in good shape. John chapter 3. Um, if you grew up around church, or if you grew up, grew up around NFL football with Rainbow Head, you probably have, are familiar with this verse. If you don't know who Rainbow Head is, you need to Google it, because it's awesome. Okay? Even though I heard he's in prison or something. Wikipedia that later on. Rainbow Head. Rainbow Head would stand at the football games with a sign on that said John 3.16. Um, this is one of the first verses that I remember memorizing as a child. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay? So there it is. Again, God there, taken to mean God the Father. So loved the world that he gave his only Son. Okay? So here's the Father being the one that plans. Okay? And then sends the Son. The Son obediently comes to earth. This is what uh, he does. Turn it over to chapter 6. In 638, the Son says this. It says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, so here's the Son acknowledging that he has been sent by the Father. We see Jesus, whenever he's teaching disciples how to pray, he says, go into your room, close the door, 
and pray to your Father who's in heaven. Okay? So there's, there, Jesus is constantly acknowledging um, that he has come to do the will of the Father, that he's been sent by the Father, that, um, that that is what he is here to do, is to be obedient to the one who sent him. All right? And then in John 14, verse 26, This is Jesus again speaking. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Okay? Whom the Father will send in my name. Okay? So the Spirit in, in salvation, um, the Spirit comes after Jesus is gone. And the Spirit is the one that applies salvation to us. And next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all these verses. Okay, I'm going to put all this stuff on there, all these additional verses. I was telling the band earlier, I was like, I have like so many verses for each of these points, it's hard to pick one that just sums it all up. So Jesus says that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to come. He's going to be sent by the Father in the name of Jesus to, um, to remind them of all the, th- the things that he has said. If you look in... I'm not going to read them to you, but in 15, chapter 15 and chapter 16, it gets more into what the Spirit actually does. Um, the, the Spirit is the one that convicts of sin, that draws um, us to Christ for redemption. Um, the Spirit is the one that, that teaches. If you've ever read the Bible and understood something, that's the Spirit. Um, the Spirit is, is there to convict of sin after you have been saved as well. That's a, His convicting presence. Um, he is there as a comforter. Um, if you have ever been mourning or grieving and you have this weird, like, this weird just sense that everything's going to be okay and you, and you recognize and you're aware of the nearness and, and presence of God and he is comforting you, that is the Spirit that is doing that. Um, all through uh, regeneration, it's the work of the Spirit. And so in salvation, here's, here's what happens. God the Father plans it, envisions it, comes up with the way it's going to happen. He sends the Son to come to the earth to accomplish it, to live a sinless life, to die as a ransom for us, uh, to be raised up again. Jesus goes to heaven, and then the Spirit comes, and the Spirit lives in all of us, and the Spirit applies the redemption of Jesus and is with us at all times. Just like he was hovering over the waters in creation, he is manifesting the presence of God within his creation, within you and me. And so just kind of rough sketch of things. The Father the, is the visionary, okay, and he does the sending. He sends the Son. The Son comes and does whatever the Father needs for him to do to accomplish salvation for us. And then the Father and the Son send the Spirit so that, that the presence of God lives in all believers and empowers them and teaches them and corrects them and, and causes them to live the kind of life with the kind of change in those lives that draws other people in. The Father's visionary, the Son goes and gets it done, and then the Spirit applies what the Father and the Son uh, want to see happen. Okay, now, do you probably have questions? And I, 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 every now and then I throw this out there, and I pretty much get like 1.2 emails per offer of this, okay? I want you to email me questions that you have about the Trinity so that next week, we can get into some, some of these things, the things that are on your mind, the things that you don't understand, the things you want to understand, okay? So please, please, please do that for me. That would be awesome. Next week, 
We're going to look at misunderstandings of the Trinity, and we're going to look at why it's, why it's important that we get it. Um, ironically enough, um, you know, last week I talked about um, you know, the, the deity of, of Christ, and, and so much about the Trinity is where Jehovah's Witnesses and us really, really part company. Um, the, yesterday, putting gas in my, uh, putting uh, air in my tires at the gas station, dude comes up to give me some literature. And so now I have some literature that I can reference um, next week in teaching us how, uh, uh, how to kind of deal with that. And I'm not like militant. I'm not like go pick fights with Jehovah's Witnesses or anything like that. Um, but what's cool is I can tell you three people that I've had conversations with within our church who have coworkers or friends or some kind of relationship with someone who's a Jehovah's Witness. And it's important, considering what we're called to do, that we understand where we differ and why we differ. And um, I'm not at all like, let's go pick fights and beat up, beat up people or anything like that. But the truth is the truth. And the truth always wins. And so, um, so that's kind of what we're going to get into next week. And I uh, just wanted to just kind of throw that out there. Now, what, what in the world would the roles of the Father and the Son and the Spirit have to do with, with us? All right? If the Father is, Father is the, vision, the visionary the Son goes and is obedient to do whatever it takes to get that vision accomplished. They both send the Spirit to apply those things and to manifest the presence of God. We see that in creation. We see it in salvation. And that is, what, that is how the Trinity affects our lives every single day. What is it that God wants us and our church and this group of people to learn tonight? I want to focus just for a few minutes on the fact that one of the things that we get uncomfortable with with the Trinity is the fact that there is an obvious hierarchy there, but, there's not, but they're all equal, right? They're all fully God. They're all the same. So how come the Father's like, uh, son, go die for these people who uh, hate us? And how come the Spirit like, has to take orders from the Son and the Father? The Spirit, he's doing all the work, right? I mean, he's, like, he's doing all the work. The Father just gets to sit there in heaven Shoot out orders. Jesus comes, 33 years of, you know, having to live here and stuff, and he gets to be, like, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit's like, what's up? I'm out here doing all the work. I'm leading people to Christ, and I'm telling you what you're doing wrong and making Scripture make sense, and, and I'm just, I'm doing all this. I'm comforting people. I'm doing all the work. We, we don't understand that because our human experience is so, is, is so different from that because we... We look at any kind of hierarchy, um, which I hate to use that word because because I think we instantly jump into like this levels kind of idea. And it's not hierarchy in terms of levels, but it's hierarchy in terms of, of an ordering. That they each play a role, and what that requires is that the father calls shots and the son be obedient and the spirit listen to the other two. And so we see this tension because like, I thought they were one. I thought they were one. Well, they are one. But see, there's, the, there's this, this great fault of humans, especially Christians, because we want to try to understand God in terms of like our experience. Like we want to see like, this is what my life is like. So this, you take God and lay it over our own experience. Like, so this must be what God is like. And so we're like, okay, I don't like to have to submit. I don't like to be told what to do. Um, I, I, like, I want to have freedom um, to do what I want to do, and if I don't want to do something, I don't want my boss or my parents 
or my spouse or like I don't want anybody to tell me that I have to do something or I can't do something or whatever. And so we try to take that experience and then take the Trinity and lay it over the top of it and be like, how in the world is the spirit not just completely ticked? How is Jesus not so angry in the garden when he was like praying to the Father and being like, there's any, any other way, but it's not my will, it's your will, you know, crossing the fingers and hoping the guy says, okay, you know, we're off the hook. How did he not go to the cross bitter or mad or, you know, whatever? And so we can't use our experience as a starting point to understand God. God is always the starting point. We interpret our experience based on God, not God based on our experience. And so the fact that you and I don't like to be told what to do or corrected or we don't, we don't like having to submit to anyone or we don't like authority, you know, we don't like it when a cop pulls us over and says, you're going too fast. What that has, to do, that has to tell us, okay, there's something going on here that is different from the essence of who the Father is. Instead of saying, well, the Trinity doesn't make sense, we, what we need to be doing is saying, no, life doesn't make sense. And I think we need to really, really, really understand why within the Trinity it's all good. Why is there love? Why why does everything make sense? And here's what it is. The difference in roles and, re- and relationships within the Trinity and how things play out in creation, how things play out in salvation, how things play out in everyday life, the reason why it works is because they are one. It goes back to the first point, that there is one true God. The unity and the equality of the Trinity makes their roles Okay. Because they are one, they gladly and joyfully play the role. What does that have have to do with anything? The applications are incredibly, incredibly obvious. Um, Let me, let me, me, all right, we'll go four of them. If you, if you have to work with people, ever, right? Coworkers, um, if you're a college student, you have group project. If you, um, if you have to work with people within a family or within a group of roommates, uh, just whatever. If you have to work with other people, and there is within that working some form of order, Unity and equality is the key to people within that group playing their role and embracing their role, all right? So here's, here's how it works. Let's say, let's say in your job that and in, in the corporate world, there's definitely, definitely hierarchy, okay, a definite ladder. So let's say that you're middle, you're middle of the rung, middle, middle rung of the ladder, whatever, middle of the rung of the ladder. I'll just keep saying it so it makes sense. Um, If the people above you think that they're better than you and they, and they treat you bad and they don't listen to your ideas and you are just there and they're, you're just there to carry out the things that they want and the people below you, you treat them the way that the people above you treat you, 
then of course there's not going to be any sort of embracing of the role that you play. Because you're not unified. Because you're not one. Now, if there's that ladder there, but your boss comes in and has this meeting around this round table and says, look, um, I know I'm your boss and all that kind of stuff, but we have some things to accomplish, and we as a group are going to accomplish them. I want to know what, what you think about this, and I want you to know what I think, and I want us to throw all our ideas out there, and let's arrive at a decision, and then let's go, and let's do the things that we need to do. Then when you walk out of those meetings, you're fine with the boss being like, okay, I need you to do this. Okay, and I need you to make sure that they do these things. Everybody's okay with it. Why? Because when there's unity and there's equality, you embrace the role that you have to play in the process. So the lesson for us is if, if you're in any situation where you're over people, the Trinitarian way of handling things is, is for there to be equality and unity within the, the group. You don't talk down to people that work for you. You don't treat them bad. Um, you don't expect them to do things that you wouldn't do. And it goes on and on and on. If you find yourself at the bottom of the ladder, you're like, what's up? How am I supposed to apply that? Um, okay, well, Jesus was at the bottom of the ladder. And he served, and he loved, and there were times when people thought it was great, and then they slaughtered him and cheered as, uh, as they did it. And so if you're at the bottom of the ladder, there's something to be said about serving the people who rule over you and push you around and whatever. And I'm not saying be a pushover, and I'm all about justice and all that kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, it is a reflection of the Trinitarian God for us to serve and to trust that he will take our service and use that to change what's going on. See, we're called to be like him in every way. And so in the practical things of life, when we're working with other people, there needs to be unity and equality so that everybody can play the role that's going on. Makes perfect sense, right? Let's, let's jump into something else. Um, let's pick on marriage a little bit. Okay? All you single people, just chill. Actually, take notes, because you may need this stuff one day. Um, within a marriage, all right, two become one flesh, all right? So you're like, well, there's unity, there's total unity, we're totally one, it's all good. All right? There's actual unity in the eyes of God, and there's all this emotional, spiritual unity that's going on, and then there's how that unity plays out. And there are times when the way it plays out is contrary to what is really going on. Okay? So, if, I'm not even going to pick sides because it happens both ways. If one spouse thinks that they're superior to the other spouse, what happens? It's terrible. If one spouse thinks that they are more spiritual than the other one, they're smarter than the other one, um, that they get life more than the other one or whatever. And I'm not talking about like, I'm better with money than you are. Okay, let's, let's come to terms. Let's move forward in those like, obvious things. But I'm talking about just big picture stuff. You are out of your mind if, if you think that your spouse doesn't know how... Wait. If, you're, if, you, like I said, if you think that your spouse doesn't know what you think about them, you're crazy. You're crazy. So if there is any break in that equality and that unity, you know what happens when it comes time for there to be some, some sort of playing out of the submission that happens within a marriage? Not good. 
You either have a wife refusing to submit, or you have a husband who is like lording that over her. You take something that was God designed to, to work well, and, you, and, and it gets twisted, it gets bent, it becomes something that's not supposed to be. However, and, and I believe husband and wife, okay, completely equal, completely, like I'm all about that equal standing before God, value, personhood, ability to hear the Lord, everything completely equal. I think within the marriage that they each play a role. I don't know exactly what the submission, head of the household, spiritual leadership, all that kind of stuff looks like. Maybe one day I'll figure it out. Until then, I'm counting on you guys. Let me know what's up. But I know this. Biblically, you each have a role to play. If there's not equality and unity within your marriage, those roles are going are gonna to be resisted. They're going to have problems. But when there is unity and, and there is equality and there's, there's love and there's prayer and there's openness and there's exchange of ideas, and when it comes time to either submit or to exercise that leadership or, or however that plays out, you end up, you embrace the role that you're called to play. Why? Because it reflects who God is. Not because it's a formula, not because Dr. Phil said so, and it's because it's a reflection of the very essence of God. Because the Father and the Spirit and the Son are all one, they all embrace what's up. They all embrace what they're called to do. All right, let's jump to another one. This one may be a little less... I don't know. This one's a little bit different. Our church is, is structured in such a way that the members of the church um, submit to the leadership of the elder board on everything that happens in the church except for like six things that are listed in our constitution. And it's like, uh, you know, you can't buy, uh, can't enter into debt that's more than one-twelfth of our annual budget and can't change our affiliation. Like we can't become like Methodist tomorrow without the, you know, that kind of stuff. They can't. Uh, they can. The elders can fire the pastor, but they can't hire a new one. There's just certain things that go to the floor of the congregation. And a part of becoming a member of the church is you. You agree and you enter into a covenant. Basically says everything else. I'm submitting to what you guys say. Within the, those elders, right now we have seven. Biblically, that means that this church has seven pastors. That in whatever, however this looks, and I'm terrified of this, just so you know, we will all at some point stand before the Lord and have to give account of this, of the ring, somehow. Okay? Right now we have seven pastors. Now within that table, okay, there's seven of us there. I'm, the, I'm like all-time quarterback, okay? The other guys serve for three years and they rotate out, all right? And what church nerds say in this situation is that I would be the first among equals, that the seven of us are all equal there, but somebody's got to run the point. And since I'm, like, all-time quarterback, and that means that in, to some degree, when I stand before God, there's a different amount of something coming my way, a different level of accountability. Um, there are times when those elders will, will say, what do, you, what do you think? What do you think we need to do? Now, here's, here's 
basically what that is, is what is happening is the seven of us, if there's real unity and real equality, every one of those guys is fine with me saying like, look, as the pastor, here's, this is my opinion. And they take, it takes the, whatever amount of weight it needs to, it takes it there. If there is equality and there's unity. If there is not inequality and unity, and either I come in and I'm like, look, I'm the pastor, you need to shut up, do what I tell you. Um, they're not going to embrace that stuff, okay? If we have three new guys, if the four veterans like, are like, what's up, rookie? What up, newbie? All the time, or we're always talking down to them, there's not going to be unity and equality there, is there? They're not going to embrace roles that we're called to play. Now, bring that into the, this greater church level, okay? It takes a lot of unity and equality for members of a church to say, I trust you seven guys to take us where we need to go. That in everything other than those six deals, I completely trust what you want to say. That only is going to happen if all of us really look around the room and see equal standing before God. Equal spirituality. If any of us are like, okay, these people are super spiritual. These hear from the Lord. These are probably just like, I mean, who knows what they are because I hear, you know, that, you know, I've, I've seen Facebook. Okay, I mean, I know. So I don't really trust them uh, because I've seen their pictures, you know, they were tagged in or whatever. And if, if we split things up and we make this, then here's what, what happens. I stand up in front of the church and I say, this is the decision we've come to about the Mexico trip. There it is. And, let, and by the way, we have not made a decision yet, okay? But let's say that the decision is we're not going to go to Mexico. Here's, here's what happens. There are people who are going to say, I trust the elders. And there are people who are going to say, I don't care what they say, I'm going. I don't care what's going on at the border. I'm going no matter what. They're weak scared. They're deciding based on fear. What happens is you think that you know better and it's because the way that you view the church, you have set this up in this way. And for whatever reason, you have exalted yourself above everybody else. And then there are people who are going to say, man, it kills me that we would not go to Mexico. But I trust that God speaks to our elders because I know that they love us, and I know that they serve us, and I feel like we are all equal, and we are unified, and we are one. And so if our leadership doesn't, isn't behind it, then I'm not going like, to be all rebellious and prideful and go. That's how, that, that's, that's Trinitarian. That's what we're, we're moving toward, is we want that level playing field. And the thing is, like, none of us, me, I can't control that. I control the way I look at things. But I can't take someone who, like, busts this hierarchy all the time and all this kind of stuff. I can't change them. I can pray for them. I can throw truth at them all the time that says, that person's not better than you, and you're not better than that person. But ultimately, that's something that God has to fix. And so that's one of those things where we look around our experience and we say, this is a problem because here's Trinitarian God, and here's how it's playing out. And there's, like, there's dissonance there. And that becomes something that we pray toward and we work toward. Very practical, bringing down it into how the Trinity affects church life. Here's the here's last one real quick, and I'm going to be done. I know this is long. and When it comes to your, your relationship with the Lord, 
Okay, you and Jesus. There is um, submission that is required of us. And when, when we are not one with the Father, when we are not abiding in Christ, when we are not connected to Him, and when His life is not flowing through us, when we're not praying and we're not in the Word and we're not in community and we're, we're unplugging from all the different um, vehicles that God uses to, to keep us of one heart and one mind with His, when you're not doing that, you buck that authority. You don't want to submit. You don't want to stop doing stuff. You want to do what, what you want to do. And I don't mean to use the word you because like I, I should be using we this whole time because I speak from very, very personal experience that when I and God are not one, I don't embrace the role that I play. I fight it. I do whatever I want. And basically what happens is I end up saying, I know better than you about my life. And that is not a reflection of the Trinity. That is not a reflection of the essence of God. And so I have to return to that and to stay connected to that. Because I know that there's unity in reality. Like I, there, It's not that I'm separated from God and rejoined. It's not, it's not this actual, like, you're now separated from, from God or whatever. I know that, that we're always with Him. It's, it's about... That, that tapping in and that awareness and that consciousness and those disciplines. And if you look at your life and, and you're, you're just like, I'm just so tired of doing really great and doing really bad and saying I'm never going to do this again or saying, you know, whatever, and then like messing up. And, uh, and I'm... Be Trinitarian in the way you approach the Lord. You look at the Trinity and you be like, I want to, I want to, I don't want to be um, calling the shots. I want to embrace the role that I play, which is to be one of his kids, just to be obedient to what he's called me to, just to pursue holiness in all things and put others ahead of myself and to, for his glory to be what I absolutely live for. It's that daily coming back to him and being like, I'm Regardless of where I ended yesterday, I'm starting off here today as to reflect who God is. And I don't know what I don't know how it fits into your life. If you're anything like me, there are times where you embrace the role that you play as one of his kids, and there are times when you want the role you want to play is the role of God. Well, it's about getting back to what's important and recognizing the fact that when God says be like me he says be a community he says be love he says embrace the role that you play because there's more going on than just you it's not about you it's not about your life there's something bigger that's there and we joyfully step into that the reason why it works in our lives and in why it works within the Trinity is because they are one. Same mind, same heart, same vision. And they, all of them said, whatever it takes 
So the father had no problem saying, son, go and die. And the son had no problem saying, okay. And the father and the son had no problem saying, spirit, go, manifest our presence. Let's get this done. The spirit said, awesome. And that's the kind of life that I want to live. And I believe it's the kind of life that we all want to live. Let's ask God to bring us to that, that point. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we love you, and um, we don't all know. We don't know everything about you. We don't know how you work, and even after looking at the scriptures and listening to talk about it, it's still mind blowing. But God, we understand this. We understand that you are the boss. That you are sovereignly over all. And it, it's, it's not a situation where you are arrogantly and pridefully ruling over us. That there is perfect love and perfect um, power. So God, help us to see you for who you are and to be at one with you in our minds. And if that means repenting, um, that means uh, uh, whatever it means. We trust you to communicate that to us. Help us to return to that place. Help us to to embrace the role that we play as your kids and as your servants, as your ones who have been redeemed and sent out and called. 